Hey, welcome to Maximum Libertarian. I'm Brian, and today we're going to do this a little bit different than we normally do. What I have done is went out and got permission from Derek Maddox, who works with the Lynchburg Libertarians. He interviewed all the individuals that are seeking the chair of the LPVA, which is the Libertarian Party of Virginia. The vote will go down at the state convention this upcoming Saturday on March 14th. So you're going to be able to hear all three individuals that would like to be the leader of the LP here in the state. Um, we've got three interviews. we got Joe Pascal. We've got Nick Dunbar, and then we've got Dean Davison. Um, each of them lasts around, give or take, 30 minutes. But this will give you an idea of what they want to do, how they would like to see the party start leading, so forth and so on. We are in a wonderful time to be a libertarian. Once again, 2020 looks to be a election where people are going to be going in and holding their noses because they don't like who they've got currently and they don't like who has been nominated to run against the current president donald j trump what we must do as libertarians is get out and let people know you don't have to hold your nose anymore we have a viable candidate We've got viable candidates throughout the state, throughout the country. But if they don't know about them, well, they're not going to vote for them. Now, it's pretty strange that the people that they're voting on right now, they don't know nothing about either. Let's be honest. But this is our job. I've got to let people know this is our candidate. And this is why you should vote Libertarian. But I can't do it alone. That means you need to help lift the load just a tad, if you don't mind. And the three gentlemen that are going to be speaking today, well, they're going to tell us what they would do, how they think we should be able to get the message out here in the Commonwealth. So I hope you enjoy. We'll start off with Joe. And then we'll go to Nick and then Dean. So sit back with your favorite beverage. Close your eyes and listen to the soothing sounds of one of the future leaders of the LPVA. I hope you enjoy it. But more importantly, I hope you learn something. All right, I'll see you on the flip side. Welcome, everyone, to our first episode of... Virginia is for Liberty. It's brought to you by the Lynchburg Libertarians. We've got uh, Derek Maddox here. He is the vice chair of the 5th district. Um, we got Joe Pascal right here. He's running for chair of the state party. And um, okay, we're going to interview him tonight and so he can tell us the way he feels about issues, what he can do, what, he, what he's wanting to do if he's elected, and so we can get the information out to everyone. All right, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming. All right, so we got a couple questions for you. Well, actually, more than a couple. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with the Libertarian Party? 
by myself, I was raised in Mecklenburg County, um, Southside Virginia my whole life. I uh, worked heavy industrial construction. The first job was at Clover Power Plant in Clover, Virginia. Um, been all over the world, construction. Moved to Montana for 10 years and just recently had moved back. I've kind of been a libertarian my whole life, I, even before I became an, a member. My mom was a Barry Goldwater Republican. My, my stepdad was more anti-government more than anything. He was drafted and he felt that they took um, took something from him by drafting him. So he had no love for the federal government when we were growing up. So I've been a national member for three years now. And I was a state member in Montana for a couple of years. Now I'm a Virginia member since I moved back. Well, I'm glad you came back. Thank you. All right. Well, that kind of. And how long have you been a member again? And what year did you join? I want to say it was 2017 officially National Party. Yeah. Okay. All right. What sparked your interest in running for state chair? Well, I see Bo. Me and Bo had been in contact for the last few years. Bo Brown. Bo Brown, our current chair. And he had notified me that he wasn't seeking to run again. So I kind of asked who was who was running, and at the time he really didn't know or wasn't saying. Let's say, but um, then all of a sudden, this Second Amendment sanctuary movement started, and I felt that there wasn't enough libertarian involvement in that and that we should have, the party itself should have been all over it. And I, I'm not blaming Bo or, you know, Bo recently had his house burned down, so he's had some issues yeah, too. I mean, and he's got real busy at work and all. And I wasn't, I'm not blaming Bo, I think as a whole, we weren't communicating as a group, as a party, like, like these other people that were from all walks of life in this Second Amendment sanctuary movement, there was people, you know, VCDL, but there were just other people in other groups all joining together to do something, and it really worked out well. And to say the least, I was a bit disappointed that the Libertarians weren't a little more involved with it. Well, see ya. So that's what kind of brought that's what brought me to say, well, possibly me running this chair, I could bring some unity to it. So you definitely believe we can bring more light with the Virginia Libertarian Party for Second Amendment because that is a lot of concern right now. Yeah, that's what, that may be something that we can use to our advantage going forward. And that's what people are looking for. And hopefully we can broadcast a message that we're a little yes. bit stronger Second Amendment than the Republicans. Agreed, we are. Yeah, so hopefully we can get that message out. Um, have you ever held a position of leadership before? I help positions of leadership all the time in my work, um, in construction. I'm a construction manager. You know, I have meetings with hundreds of people for safety meetings and, and managing contractors. And any one time, you know, when I was in the Middle East per se, I had 5,000 people directly under me. Of course, I had, you know, other supervisors and all that, but I was overall responsible. 
running meetings with foreign nationals and, you know, pretty interesting. So you had to work with a lot of people with different backgrounds. Different and you backgrounds. said 5,000 people? At that's a, a refinery, lot. A, a new refinery in Saudi. Wow, that's a lot. All right. Um, well, let me ask you this. Well, your experience, other than with the little bit we've talked about, how do you believe that experience qualifies you to hold the position of the state chair? With libertarians, you know, a lot of times when you get a group of libertarians together, it's reminiscent of herding cats. Yes. <laughs> so, I think you need somebody that that's used to bringing people with different ideas and together on a common ground. Right. And I, and I have that. And I have that experience through my work. And, you know, I mean, because you look, if you're on a construction site, it's probably the most diverse place you'll ever go. There's people from every religion, every political spectrum, every walk of life on a construction site, but you bring them together to, the common thing is to build this. And right. from the foundation up, and that's, we're trying to build a movement here from the foundation up, so it's precisely. And you're probably used to working with blue collar and white collar alike. Agreed. But the thing is, it's not the quality of a leader. One of the best qualities is and nobody can do it all by themselves. And anybody that thinks that they can or says that they can is lying. Right. It's just you have to identify the people that have strong quality and know their qualities by saying Derek will be good at this. Charlie will be good at this, right. and and putting those people in those right positions to help, like delegating them into the right positions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's okay. Because I think it's several uh, vacant positions right now mm -hmm. in the LPBA. I think like one, for example, is a communication director, mm -hmm. new membership of liaison. Um, it was several other positions. Yeah, there's as well. a, quite a few positions open, and you know you've got to sit down and talk to people and. A, you got to find somebody that's interested in it because if somebody's not interested in it, right. they're not going to do it. But you know, once you find somebody interested and they have that quality, it's, you've got to, you know, steer them toward that. I like that. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, start focusing on some of the challenges that the state party is facing today, uh, beginning with membership. If elected, how do you plan to increase membership numbers and retain existing members? I honestly, at this point in time, since we're, we need more members, I think we need to, to talk about the $25 fee. It, okay. it costs to join a state party. I don't know if it means that we do some drives and try to get people, like we go to the state fair or something, set up a booth or whatever. Everybody that signs up at that booth, per se, will get a one-year free membership just to get them on board, and then they can start seeing what we're all about. Kind of like an introduction. Yep. Okay. And, and because it's, you know, a lot of people don't want to put up $25, and they're not sure what the Libertarian Party's all about right. in, in that learning deal, right? Right. But now, okay, you're a member, so now you know. So next time around, they would be more apt to say, well, hey, you know, I see what they're all about. I've got input. I do things. Yeah, I, I don't mind paying the 25. I like that. That's a, that's a very And I think we idea. could probably start doing so a lifetime deal. Um, okay. Um, 
They used to do a lifetime deal. I don't know if they do now. I didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But well, I do know that if you're a, a lifetime member of the National Party, you're automatically a lifetime <laughs> member of the LPVA as well. So that, uh, yeah. So it'd be something. I mean, that's, we need to look at these kind of things. I mean, Absolutely. you know, we need to draw new members, and a lot of times that money kind of keeps them. From. I can understand that because sometimes I'm not willing to spend my paycheck. Well, sometimes uh, people don't have it. I mean, you know, that's we, true. The Libertarian Party tends to, you know, we we have an appeal to people that aren't high income because of whatever reason we just we've had that appeal. You know, younger people, especially you know, college kids, we have an appeal to. So a lot of people may not be able to afford twenty five bucks. Probably because the state hurts them the worst at some well, point. Well, the you know, federal <laughs> government takes. Takes more. It takes state and feds take more in taxes from people, but you know, it's, yeah, that's a whole other subject. <laughs> whole different day, huh? <laughs> All right, just another episode. <laughs> another episode. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Uh, well, we talked a little bit about this, but I guess we can brush up on it a little bit. How do you plan to bring more unity within the party and improve communication between all members, from lone wolf activists and local affiliates to state leadership? Well, you know, technology is going to help us a lot. We, I think we need more calls. I know we have meetings now, but I still think we need to do break it up. So we need some activism call-ins and Skype-type stuff, you know, and right. get, guy, get people to start calling in more. But then break it up into groups if we have to, you know. I do feel that the state party... Not so much for running campaigns and more of a advisory type. Okay. I, I think we we need to be a little more involved with the advisory role for candidates. Okay, I like that. And you know, be able to bring because there's a bunch of people national that are in national that have run some successful campaigns, and they're more than willing to help us. They, we just got to reach out and help. I guess it goes back to communication. Yep, that's yeah. the communication part. We just got to say, hey, you know, we got this candidate here. Can you give us a little bit of help? That's right. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, well, we talked a little bit about the membership uh, dues, which you said mm -hmm. maybe introduction, but this kind of touches that. If the party becomes more successful with membership expansion and retention, that will have great impact on the amount of funds the party receives through membership dues. And what other ways would you plan to raise party funds? Well, you know, if you look at the Republicans and Democrats, they have like the Lincoln Reagan dinners and stuff. Right. I think that's a good start, at least some of that for us. You know, we can have a Patrick Henry dinner. Hmm. And, you know, start having some good guest speakers. I mean, we can get some good guest speakers from Virginia, and they don't always have to be libertarians. I mean, there's some liberty-minded and... Absolutely. You know, we've got some liberty-minded senators and congressmen and representatives in the state of Virginia. Absolutely. So, I mean, maybe getting some of those folks, on, you know, to come and be speakers or some of these big farms that have been successful. Or just different people, but... You know, people outside the party would be like, you know, I'm not a libertarian, but I'm going to go because I want to hear him speak and see what he's got to say. And, you know, may hmm. want to pay $200 for a plate. 
like that. And you can have probably different authors or, like yeah. you said, different people Just from different, different backgrounds. People, so, different yeah. backgrounds. I like that. That's a good idea. All righty. Well, let's talk about party candidates. One of the most difficult challenges our candidates face is a lack of finances. Uh, I'm sure you know that as a former candidate, mm -hmm. and I have a little bit of experience with that as a former yes, campaign you. manager. <laughs> uh, how would you plan to help them overcome this obstacle? And possibly, would you support allocating party funds, which you said you want to be more of an advisory? But Where I think the party funds should lie, I mean, I think we can help with at least filing fees. Okay. I think, you know, instead of saying, because then that's the only fair thing. Like, if we say, okay, we're going to pay the filing fees for all statewide races, if the party were to do that. Then that kind of, everybody gets the same. So you can't, because it depends. Here's the, the thing is, say one year we have a candidate and we got a lot of extra money and we wind up maxing out what we can give to that candidate. But the next year, we don't have that much funds for whatever reason. We got another candidate. They feel cheated because they figure, well, X got $6,000 from you guys and now I only got 2000 That's not fair. I see. It, yeah, I mean, I, so, but if we just said consistently we're going to help with filing fees, then it's kind of fair across the board. Okay, that's a good start. I mean, that's the only fair way I feel about doing it. What about using the website possibly to bring more attention to no, their course. campaigns and help? We could pay for emails. We could help develop their websites, or even if it means paying a developer to help them with that. And I do have some contacts with some website um, optimizers. Okay. And, you know, that could be something we could talk about. We can help candidates with that kind of stuff. Well, that definitely helps. Or at least links through maybe the main page to our libertarian page that has some good links back to each candidate. Sure. Because a lot of the candidates, when they get started, they're so busy trying to figure out what to exactly. do. Any kind of experience with the website or something like that can help would, them. Yeah, that, we, that, the state party, that's, I don't have a problem with that. I think we could build a separate website that's just for candidates. But part of that comes down to is candidate resources. So there, we've got FEC requirements. Right. And that's a big problem for you know candidates running for federal office. There's a oh, yeah. bunch of... FEC stuff that they're not on, up on, and wouldn't, you know, normally the big, the olive, you know, the duopoly, they have a team of lawyers that do that. Right. The party has some great lawyers. Heck, I mean, our chair is a great lawyer, and we got people like Alicia Dern and all the great attorneys that are willing to help, but they can't help every candidate because they don't have that kind of time. Right. But they could help us by putting the basics into a website that they can access well, see, and be able to print things off and be, you know that's kind of what I'm thinking we could load PDFs in there and they get a login and right. then they could go on there so I need this form so they grab it and print it it's one-stop shop and instead of them having to get online and look for on this office we can kind of help them with some of that I think that's a excellent idea and I, I think I'd like to also see in Virginia uh, possibly like a uh, candidate package have mm -hmm. several different types obviously uh, but uh, you know for example somebody says I want to run for delegate it's already mm -hmm. packaged with yep. instructions ready to go um, yes sir. 
and that would be. Uh, and that, that's yeah, that's the other kind of stuff too. I mean, it, that's what we all have to sit down and talk about what's best. That's right. And all that costs money. So if the party's going to do that, and we're going to print those, then we're still being consistent across the board to all kinds. That's right. We just have to have a few more dinners mm -hmm. to get the funds. That's right. <laughs> all right. What are your thoughts on creating new programs within the state party? to recruit and train campaign teams. We kind of just touched on that. I oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Well, that's fine. No, we did touch on that. And it, but like I said, it's I, here's my big issue, what I've seen as a whole, is a good candidate may not be a good activist, vice versa. Oh, that's we true. We tend to run good activists as candidates, and they they aren't great candidates, and they get discouraged, and then they get out of the movement. So we kind of got to work through some of that. We got to say, you know, X is a great activist, but they don't speak well in public. I don't really think they'd make a good candidate. Yeah, you know, I mean, we got to be honest with people. Because we're all basically a team of just getting the exactly. message out there exactly. whatever way we can. Right. Because you can get a good candidate that is not a great activist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like, look at Trump. I mean, could you see the President of the United States being an activist? No. I mean, he's a great uh, candidate. No. He, he, he's a good candidate. He campaigns well and he debates well. But, I, you know, I wouldn't want him to go out just talking to the general public. Uh, no, it probably wouldn't be good for him. <laughs> Well, do you have any, uh, well, you had a couple other suggestions. Uh, do you have any other recommendations on how we might better assist our candidates? Anything no, else you want to add to that? I mean, I just, the big thing is communication, communication, communication. Right. You know, we've got to open up communication and try to sue, get candidates set up with the right people to help them. Okay. And... Uh, Go to another question. In what ways do you believe the party become can become more effective in broadcasting our message to the general public in Virginia? Um, Go to Board of Supervisor meetings. We should have libertarians at every Board of Supervisor meetings. Go volunteer at Habitat for Humanity wearing a libertarian T-shirt or a hat. Right. You know, I mean, adopt a highway if that's what it takes. Get your name out there when people say, hey, well, you know Met a few of those libertarian folks. They're not crazy like the people say they are. They're nice folks. I mean, you know, that's the big thing, community outreach. It means going, you know, doing the right thing and going to a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter and feeding people, you know. it's right. Get out in the community and let people see you. They're going to ask if they see the porcupine, you know. They're going <laughs> to ask you about a libertarian. They do it all the time to me at work. Right. Because if you're actually showing the positive side of libertarianism, then you... Yeah, I mean, it's voluntarism is the core principle of libertarianism. Right. right. I mean, nobody should force anybody to do anything. I agree. And, you know, when they see that when you start talking to people about it, they really get it. I think 90% of the people in the world, are, in the country, are probably libertarians and don't even know it. But oh, absolutely. Once you start talking to them, yeah. Yeah, they start, well, that's not bad, you know. Yeah, so I agree with you on that. All right. Uh, is there anything another state affiliate is doing different from the Libertarian Party of Virginia that you believe we should try as well? 
Not right off the top of my head. I mean, every state's got its own dynamic. Right? I mean, the problem in Virginia is it's the worst state to get ballot access in. It seems that most of our campaigns are basically just trying to get some kind of ballot access. Oh, yeah. You know, like Montana living out there, they've got guaranteed ballot access. I'd love to see that in Virginia. And then, but once that happened, there was a whole other series of problems. So, <laughs> I mean, well, you have it, government it, involved. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> it's. I would say every state's got its own dynamic. I don't know what's best in North Carolina is good in Virginia or vice versa. Okay. All righty. Um, so tell us what you can bring to the table that makes you the best candidate for chair. Well, at the moment, uh, a lot of Virginian, rural Virginian libertarians feel that they've been left out over the years because it's been kind of controlled by the urban nights. What I can bring to the table is I, w I grew up in urban Virginia, in tobacco country. I saw what happened when tobacco and textiles went away mm. in this state, you know, how it affected our jobs, how it affected our way of life, how it did everything. So, it, you know, I grew up in the woods and a lot of the people I talk to every day are tired of D.C. politics and Richmond politics, and they're looking for something different. And I think, you know, talking to a city slicker, so to speak, with a suit on all the time doesn't appeal to them. That makes sense. They need somebody that speaks their language. I agree. Okay. All right. Um had a question that wasn't really related to you running for chair, but uh, I recently read an article you wrote where you talked about the First Amendment and mentioned several of the Founding Fathers by name. If you had to choose, which one would you consider to be your favorite and why? Actually, I have three favorites. Oh, okay. And, I'll, and I both kind of hold all three at the same level, and, okay. but they all for different reasons, let's say. So Jefferson, philosophical-wise, would be my favorite. Um, Patrick Henry on the activism side. You know, Patrick Henry's out there. He talked to people. You know, <laughs> he, you know, he's the one that got Virginia in the American Revolution. You know, what I mean, right. just his speech at St. John's Church, and then Sam Adams, because a he was just a badass. But, <laughs> But, he, you know, he, he started the Sons of Liberty movement, which Patrick Henry was part of the original Sons of Liberty movement. So, you know, he was a, Sam Adams was a tax collector that refused to collect taxes. You don't get more libertarian than that. That's true. <laughs> I mean, honestly. So all three of those guys, I think, like I said, for different reasons. I like that. Kind of took the best of all of them. Yeah, it's because yeah. They, everyone was, had their purpose. I definitely admire many of them. All right. Well, I think that wraps that up. Uh, was there any last comments you wanted to make? Maybe tell people how they can get in touch with you uh, as far as your campaign goes. Um, I'm on Twitter, Pascal, at Pascal Joe, P-A-S-C-H-A-L. On Facebook, I'm not hard to find, Joe Pascal. Um, that's about the only two big plat. I'm on MeWe, too, but I don't really do get on me we too much and I mean it, yeah reach out to me there I mean if you want to reach out to me 
you know, I'd get you my number, my email or whatever. You can call and chat with me. I'm pretty much an open book. I don't think I've ever held anything back on social media. I'm kind of, what you see is what you get. Okay. All righty. Well, I think that wraps it up for today. And thank you, Joe, for thank joining for us today. Me. I Absolutely. thank you guys for having me up here. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you as well. And uh, we will have another video up for you soon. All right, there was Joe Pascal. I hope you've learned something about him. And coming up next is Mr. Nick Dunbar. How you doing today, Mr. Dunbar? Oh, good, Derek. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Well, thank you again for joining us. And uh, right. I, have I appreciate you doing it. Oh, absolutely. It's a great pleasure. All right, so I'll go ahead and start with the first question. Uh, can you tell us a little about your little bit about yourself and how you became involved with the Libertarian Party? Uh, I, I guess uh, a little bit about myself uh, in the present day is uh, is I'm a self-employed uh, network consultant and uh, and I've uh, married with four kids. My youngest turned 18 uh, last month, and uh, so I'm uh, looking forward to being an empty nester. And uh, and uh, happy with uh, happy with the way my kids have turned out. I uh, as far as uh, how I became a libertarian, I became a libertarian in college. And uh, one of the things that happened was a um, the one of my one of my professors gave me a paper to write, and I had to research an economic policy in terms of these five criteria. And one of them was economic justice. And none of the books that he had recommended to me had any concept of economic justice that I believed in. I just, I just couldn't find, I just couldn't find a definition that I agreed with. And uh, and I, so I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time in the library looking at it. And I randomly picked up a book by a guy named Robert Ringer. Uh, I had read one of his books before, which was uh, Looking Out for Number One, and and Winning Through Intimidation and I picked up Restoring the American Dream, and there in Chapter 2 was a definition of economic justice, and plus that, he had a whole bibliography of all the libertarian books that I should read. So I spent the summer getting my master's degree in libertarian philosophy, and that was in 1982, and I've been an active member ever since. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Long time to beat your head against the wall. <laughs> uh, how long have you been a member? Well, I, I, I joined the party in 1982. Right. And I have I have been actively, I've, I became an active leader in the party in 1984. And uh, I've been, since then, a, a local organizer, uh, Ballot access, statewide ballot access coordinator. Um, was national director for four years. I was uh, state chair in Florida for four years, and came back up to D.C. to take over uh, operations at the national office. Did that for five years, and now, uh, for the past ten years, I've just been a part-time, a part-time employee, uh, five, maybe five, ten hours a week, just doing some some database work and and keeping the processes moving. Okay, excellent. All right, well, uh, my third question was, uh, what sparked your interest in running for state chair? 
Now, we know you have experience in that in Florida already. I'm sure that has something to do with that. Well, yes, it did. And, and that and, uh, and my experience at the National Office of, uh, of Building uh, Processes, uh, when I first came to the National Office in 89, uh, they had just uh, switched over to a new database system. And, and, and the guy that switched it over left and then nobody knew how to use it. So I basically had to build all the office systems from scratch. And, uh, and I've done it a couple of times now. And it's important to have a regular monthly process of getting the renewals out, getting the pledges processed, getting the newsletters out, getting the press releases out. Those things all take, they all take process. They take people, they take schedules, and they take, you know, a task list, and somebody has to manage that and follow it. And I, what I can see right now, Virginia has has lost most of that. Right now, we don't have a renewal program. Uh, we still have pledges that we're processing. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, John Kennedy, for doing that for us. And um, but there's there's systems that need to be put in place. And and it wasn't. And I was asked I was asked to run. Uh, Juanita Billings particularly wanted me to help her put together. Uh, a chart of a uh, organization chart and and implement it statewide. Um, so she's you know if she's vice chair, she's running for vice chair. If she gets that, then she'll be working on that end of it, and I'll be trying to build the processes and and get the right people in the right slots and and help them out to to get to get the work done. Right, because there's several vacancies, like I was speaking with Joe Pascal about uh, the communications director, new membership of liaison. So I guess part of that, the building the structure back up, you would be fulfilling those positions with members that would uh, be interested. That would be my plan. Yeah, I'm hoping I can find it. Hoping I can find enough people uh, to do that and uh, and get some candidates and outreach and all that good stuff. Right. Okay. All righty, and um, well, let's fo start focusing. Well, we you spoke of some of the challenges there. Um, could you go into some more challenges that the state party is facing today? Uh, you said speaking with membership. Um, if elected, how do you plan to increase membership numbers and retain existing members? Well, retaining re existing members is. Uh, you know, as far as as far as the state chair uh, is concerned, I mean, it's just an encouragement and and getting the processes in place, getting the renewal notices out, letting people know they expired. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who don't even know that they've expired because they haven't heard anything from us. Uh, you know, they haven't gotten a renewal notice. They don't know what their expiration date is. So we can retain a lot of members that way. And getting new members is 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 just basic outreach. And I don't have I don't have a magic plan. I mean, we're going to do OPH booths around the state. We've got a big campaign year coming up. There's lots of opportunities coming up. I mean, the Democrats are fielding, a, I don't know who they're fielding, but any one of them that I see <laughs> looks like, looks like uh, you know, ripe picking for us. And uh, so, you know, we're going to have another, I hate the Democrat, I hate the Republican season. And, and we have to really make more out of it than we have in the past. And I'd really like to see us capitalize on that. 
Right. Do you think that you could, uh, would you approve appropriation of um, LPVA funds to help local affiliates uh, do outreach programs like at local um, events? Well, uh, I would, I would, I would approve. I, I am looking forward to actually taking some of our funds and, and purchasing booth materials. I want us to have uh, clean, professional-looking booths. I'd like to do some, some training. I've done outreach, you know. Well, I've I've been I've been a party leader for over 30 years, and and it's uh, I've done a lot of outreach booths. I've done a lot of OPH booths. I've done, uh, you know, I mean, there's really anything that's happened in the party. I've done it at one time or another. So. I'd like to see us do some clean outreach boosts. I'd like to see us start tracking uh, our our results. Start tracking not just how many new members you know come into the party, but where they came from. You know what we had a booth at the county fair. How many people did we talk to? How many of them gave us their information? There's lead up. There's lead up uh, indicators. The, the vote total, like if you're doing a campaign, vote total is a lagging indicator. It's like you don't know what that vote total is going to be until it's too late to do anything about it. Or, or what, what we're looking for is um, is is these is leading indicators. So if you know how many people you've talked to, that's going to give you an indication of how many people. You know, if you talk to 100 people, 10 of them are going to give you their name and address. You, 10 of them give you your name and address. Two of them are going to join. So, and that's what we need to track. We need to track how many people we talk to. And if you want to get a hundred new members in this year in your local club, then you know, you can back that out and say, well, we need to talk to 3000 people, you know? So, and so you have to do enough booths. You have to do enough outreach activities to knock on enough doors to talk to that many people in order to get to that membership number. And that's what the campaigns need to be doing as well. Because we've found over these past 40 years of party existence that the people that get elected are the ones that canvass their entire district. And if you don't have the resources, the manpower, the money, whatever, to canvass the entire district, you're probably not going to win. So you need to build yourself to a point where you've got that many resources. If you want to run for a county commission, well, how many people is that? How many people are in your district? How many doors do you have to knock on? How many people is it going to take? So your first campaign would be, how can I recruit enough people so that next year I can knock on every door? Right. Uh, that's that's the kind of numbers that I. That's the kind of numbers that I see us needing to track if we really want to be successful. That's a good point. Um, yeah, because it, it takes a lot of time man hours to uh to canvas uh, knock on the doors to get that information out there um i think uh when i was helping charlie milner run for county board of supervisors we were getting about uh 200 houses done a week approximately and that was just an, that was just myself uh that was just an incredible amount of walking uh when Brian, take you to do uh, that. <laughs> it was it, it took a lot but that's what we need to know. I mean, that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to get to is we need to track it. We need to say this is how many man hours it's going to take, and right. it's you know we can do it. We yes. can do it, but we need to. I want to just kind of do it a little bit more scientifically. We've got a lot of anecdotal. We've got a lot of. We've got a lot of unrealistic expectations. 
if people think that they could just go out and make a good argument and that and that then they're going to win but that's unfortunately not enough making a good argument is important but it's not enough you have to have you have to have the boots on the ground doing the work as well absolutely and i i think i've heard before um that most people need exposure to a new idea or a new candidate about three times before they even really start retaining the information about that candidate or new right. idea right so right. you got uh, heard three hours from three to six or seven <laughs> It's a lot, uh, but like you said, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of boots on the ground to get that done. How do you plan to bring more unity within the party and improve communication between all members, from lone wolf activists and local affiliates to the state leadership? Uh, well, I tell you one thing is um, your your podcast uh, work right here is one of the things that's really going to it's really going to help a lot. Um, there are other there are other technologies that we can use. I like I expect to use a lot of group conference calling, but for the most part, what we really need to do is develop uh, an attitude of of tolerance for each other. I mean, I, there's there's libertarians. Well, they're just like everybody else. You know, there's you look on any any Facebook thread or, or there's they're always criticizing somebody. You know, being mean. And uh, and we we need to really kind of nicely say um, that's not the right way to respond. This is and it's really and it's you and me setting an example of of how to respond in a neighborly fashion. Try and be neighbors, and um, so that we can you know it's sometimes sometimes people I I work the registration booth at conventions a lot and and people come up to them complain because members aren't dressed appropriately or they're not you know speaking well or they're not saying the right libertarian line that they like to hear you know and it's people dress funny you know some people dress funny hey you know there's a guy with a boot on his head he's <laughs> running for president and he's you know it's like it's really easy to dismiss him if you listen to him he's actually got something worthwhile to say but it's hard to listen to because he's got a boot on his head. So, <laughs> you know, but that's what freedom looks like, you know, Absolutely. and that's when, when people, when I come back from convention and the people look at me and they say, man, there was a guy up on stage with a boot on his head, or there was a guy up on stage, a big dancing bear dancing in his bikini shorts. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, you know what? I, we don't have a dress code. We that's don't, right. Libertarian party does not have a dress code. That's what freedom looks like. If you want to have freedom, you're going to have to get used to it. Exactly. And, you know, uh, in Virginia, uh, we do have a diverse group. Uh, we have the urban areas, uh, the country. Uh, people dress differently from different parts of the Commonwealth. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think uh, if you see somebody that might be wearing blue jeans and a T-shirt, you know, kind of looks like the country folk. Uh, they might not be a, uh, appealing to some voters to certain parts, but uh, out in the country, they might be very appealing yeah. to some of the voters. They you know, it went a lot great to you, but in their home district, you right. know, they they probably know some people. Right, exactly. So yeah, so I like that. So what you're saying is, is you know, we need to have more tolerance and understanding for each other, and just be more neighborly with each other, and that should open up the communication quite a bit there. 
along yeah, with technology. That yeah, that and more conferencing and and uh, and and podcasting, I think will go a long way. I like that. All right. Um, if the party becomes more successful with membership expansion and retention, that will have great impact on the amount of funds the party receives through membership dues. And what other ways would you plan to raise party funds? Well, of course, we're going to want to have a, uh, a development uh, process. Uh, we want to have a development person that's going to uh, be able to talk to some of our um, wealthier members and, and, and look for those high dollar donations. And we need to have uh, projects that the public can get behind. This, uh, this latest uh, recall uh, with uh, Saslaw's uh, Senate bill uh, was a, would have been a great fundraiser if we could have kept it going. But, uh, but Tim Anderson, uh, the, the attorney that started it, said that he was gonna withdraw his motion if, if Saslaw withdrew his bill, which he did. And he looked like he just talked to some other senator into reintroducing it. You know, it's just a, just a typical uh, politician's sleight of hand. But, uh, but in any case, uh, Tim Anderson uh, stepped, stepped back. And so we stepped back as well because uh, he was, you know, he he was he was the guy behind him. He was he was going to file it. He was going to he was going to follow it through. And if he stepped back, then then we stepped back as well. But those types of issues, when you see an issue like that, if you can jump on it uh, right away, then uh, then you can get some fundraising off of it. I think I think there's a lot there's a lot of vape shops in Virginia, a lot of vape shops, and they're being threatened with being put out of business. I yes. think there's an opportunity there as well for us to reach out to that constituency and say, hey, you know, look, we've, we've got to, you know, we're on your side and, uh, and help us make some noise. And so we reach out to those constituencies that are being attacked uh, or that are, that are really, you know, being uh, either forgotten or outright attacked by the government. We can, we, we should be fighting for them and making a project of it, have a find somebody who wants to make that their, you know, somebody who wants to take the ownership of that project and have them have them follow it through and see if we can raise some money off of it and, and use that money to make some differences. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, because we could create a whole lot of allies around the Commonwealth with that. Um, I'm not sure how many vape shops there are in Virginia, but I know it's quite a few and uh, I have a feeling that most of them are um, quite disappointed in the legislation as of lately. But uh, yeah, I like that. All righty. Um, well, let's talk about party candidates. One of the most difficult challenges our candidates face is lack of finances. How would you plan to help them overcome this obstacle? And would you support allocating party funds? Well, I, I know that a lot of people like the state party to step in and, and fund their campaigns. And I don't think that um, I don't think that that is the right way for us to proceed for a couple of reasons. One is I don't think we can single out uh, certain campaigns as being more viable than others. I don't know that it's our place to do that. Um, and the second thing is that Basically, your campaign becomes viable as you are able to raise funds. You know, getting getting uh, as uh, 
you know, getting getting funds from the state party. The national party has done this on several occasions. I've seen the LNC put fifty thousand dollars into a campaign and get the same six percent that everybody else gets. <coughs> Sorry. The um. So I, I'm not sure that putting a big injection of funds into a campaign is is worthwhile. But I think that if you can raise the funds yourself, then you, you know you're, you what you've done is you've shown that you're a viable campaign. We might look at some sort of matching fund, although I, I'm really not in favor of that. I, I'm really more in favor of using state party funds to uh, help with training. We can get training from uh, the National Party has has training seminars that they do. There's Leadership Institute in DC that has training seminars. Sometimes we can get some of these trainers to come around to, uh, to local areas. If we have several candidates that want, to, that want to participate, we might fund some travel for a trainer to come and, and help out in that area. Uh, and I'd like to see the state party, like I said, you know, fund outreach booths, even fund, uh, maybe even fund the, um, the fund the admission fees. Like if you have to pay a table fee for seven, maybe $75 to get at the county fair $20 to get at the at the United Way uh, yard sale, whatever you're getting into, I can see that the, the state party might help fund some of that. So that, and that would be whether it's a whether it's a local uh, whether it's a local affiliate or a campaign, uh, whoever's sponsoring it. Uh, I want to see us. I want to see us out in the public talking to people. So right. that that would be something I'd support. Oh, well, what about a um like certain packages for uh, let's say for example you want to run for the board of supervisors or delegate or uh maybe a u.s senator would you approve uh that the uh, virginia libertarian party um should have packages ready for interested candidates uh that would be basically instructions and maybe use uh party funds to create these oh yeah, yeah that would be great we'd have have a have a candidate um have a candidate. Well, that's what the training. That's what I was kind of what I had in mind with right. with the training was was getting a getting a, a standard training package. This is this is this is how you raise your first five thousand dollars. You know, this is how you run a fair booth. This is, you know, how you you know canvas neighborhoods. A little bit of a little, some tools, you know, some training manuals, some tools, and right. and, and let them you know. But then and, and have somebody show them how to use them, and so that would be that would be great. And then we have as many candidates as we can get. And I'd like to see our our candidates uh, working with some of our issue partners. Like for instance, uh, if we had uh, the um, rank choice voting people, uh, right. that'd be great. They'd be great issue partners. We can have all of our candidates briefed on what we're doing with rank choice voting, and and hit that and. What's going to happen is that is that if we're all hitting that on our on the campaign trail, what historically has happened with third parties is the major party adopts their issues. So whatever if we can make something an issue, then the major party candidates will start adopting it in order to take the wind out of our sails. That's right. fine, right? And so so we can get our our issue partners uh, on a on a couple of key issues. And have our candidates. If it's a statewide issue, have all of our state house candidates all be on the same page with that issue, and all putting it forward, you know, as a, as one of their primary issues, 
and see if we can make some progress and, and get some support out of one of these issue partners too. I hadn't thought about that. That's a that's a good idea. All righty. Um, what are your thoughts on creating new programs within the state party to recruit and train campaign teams, which we actually just talked about that a little bit, but uh, to actually help recruit the members like a campaign manager, secretary, I mean, um, treasurer. Uh, do you have any other recommendations on how we might better assist our candidates? But uh, I think we pretty much touched that. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I want to have, I want to have the campaign training, not just for the candidate, but I want to have campaign manager training. I want to have press secretary training. I want to have an events uh, coordinator training so that we can have the team, you know, have the team uh, know what to expect of each other and and actually expect it of each other. All right. <laughs> All Um in what ways do you believe the party can become more effective in broadcasting our message to the general public in Virginia? Uh, it, again, I, I'm a big I'm a big believer in uh, in just talking to people. I think right. that a lot of people they read something or they see an ad and they say, "Oh, that's just an ad," or they'll you know they they read something on uh, you say on Facebook and they go, oh, "You're just a you know you're just a partisan politician." And they discount it. You know, they they don't know you. They and they discount whatever it is that they read or whatever ads that they see. And I'm just a big believer in getting out and meeting people face to face. That's why I keep coming back to these booths uh, and talking to people because when they talk to you, when they see you face to face, they say, "Well, that's you know, that's she seemed like a real person. You know, it was a real, it was right. a reasonable person. I talked to him, you know, and that's a part of part of the what I picture." as libertarian party branding is oh yeah that's the guy he, he ran the uh, he gave me that quiz down at the down at the uh, flea market and uh and uh, yeah he seemed he seemed decent you know i mean i know that everybody says that he's a that he's a pot smoking radical or, <laughs> or he's a greedy capitalist pig but he seemed like a decent person to me right so <laughs> so that's you know that's what i that's that's how i dispel that's how I dispel the prejudice. Let's just go out and talk to people. Makes sense. And it's fun, too. It oh, can be, yeah. Yeah, it can be exciting. <laughs> uh, is there anything another state affiliate is doing different from the LPVA that you believe we should try as well? I know you, you've come from the Florida party. Um, is there any other ideas that we may not discuss this evening no. that you'd like to see Virginia? When I, when I was in the Florida party, when I, I I went to the Florida State Convention, I didn't I would I just went to be a to be a member, you know. I mean I had just come back. I'd been four years in D.C. and I came back to Florida, and they wanted me to be chair. And I'm like I I didn't I didn't come here for that. But look, if you want me to be chair, that's fine. But here's the deal: Florida has the worst ballot access in the country. It is impossible to get on the ballot as a libertarian in Florida back in 95 and so if i'm going to be chair we're a political party what we do is we run candidates we can't run candidates so the only thing we're going to work on while i'm chair is we're going to work on ballot access that's our going to be our singular focus if you guys want to focus on ballot access then that's what we'll do so we didn't do you know we well we did some membership recruiting and we did 
think mostly what we did was ballot access. And I am proud to say that after that after four years, uh, we did get a constitutional amendment passed that made ballot access in Florida uh, exactly equal. What, that, what, this, what the state constitution now says is that ballot access for the smallest party shall not be any more difficult than it is for the largest party. And Florida has the exact same ballot access as the Democrats and Republicans. We can run primaries and, and the whole thing. It's not exactly what I was going for, but I take that as a win. But we didn't do, we didn't do a whole lot of the other things uh, that grow memberships and run candidates and that sort of stuff. So all I have to um, think about with, with this is what other states are doing is maybe they're doing something different. Maybe they're doing something the same. But what I want to do, what I'm, my plan is really to just, I've worked a lot with national over the past 30 years. So I want to just take the programs that national has in place and try and bring them to Virginia and get them start their candidate training programs, their fundraising programs, their whatever programs they got and bring them to Virginia and start working them. And as we see the results, we can, we can modify it. We, we, can, we can customize it to our needs here in Virginia, but I'm gonna take that as a base. I'm not gonna try and reinvent the flat tire. I don't need to do anything different. I just, I don't wanna invent anything. We just need to do run candidates and get members the same as we've done. We just need to do more of it. So, well, I'd like to see that. All right. Um, well, here we go for the last question. Uh, tell us what you can bring to the table that makes you the best candidate for state chair. Well, I don't know that I am the best candidate for state chair, but I'm the best one, I, but I'm as, I feel like I, I could do a good job. I've got some experience. Uh, I know a few people that can help us out. And and uh, I feel like I could do a good job. It's possible that one of the other candidates could do a better job, but I don't know that. And I'm and I'm and I'm going to work on I'm going to work on what I know. So um, I, I hope that the other two candidates. We all have two still, right? Just two other ones. Um, that uh, I hope that they're you know. Sure. I hope that yes, they're, I hope that they're I hope that they're good. I hope that they're better than me and that they take over, uh, you know, two, four years from now. So uh, that'd be great. All right. Well, I think um, I think that wraps it up. Um, was there anything you'd like to add? Uh, maybe tell people how they can get in touch with you uh, if they had questions about your you running for chair. Well, they can they can email me. Of course, uh, I'm, my, my email is pretty easy. It's Nick at Dunbar Mail and dunbarmail.com and uh and i like to keep my phone free uh if i can so i'll, I'll hold that number off for now maybe i'll get another phone number for the state party when when i get elected but for right now i'll hold that up but you can email me and uh, and i'll do my best to answer whatever questions you've got excellent all righty well um Ms. Honor, did you have any questions? No. Yeah. Okay. I think that'd be all. Thank you, Mr. Dunbar. And yeah, I think uh, appreciate your appreciate you doing this and uh, see you at the convention. Yes, sir. I look forward to it. I right know. Thank you. All right. That was Nick Dunbar. So now coming up is Dean Davison. Hello, everyone. This is our third episode of Virginia is for Liberty, produced by the Lynchburg Libertarians. My name is Derek Maddox. 
And with me today is Brian Heiner. He is the chair of the 6th Congressional District of uh, Virginia, Libertarian Party of Virginia. And also with me today is Dean D. Davison. He is the former chairman of the 5th Congressional District of the Libertarian Party of Virginia. And he is also the current candidate for the Libertarian Party of Virginia state chair. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, well, uh, we have some questions for you today, Mr. Davison, and uh, I think uh, we're going to let Mr. Heiner kick them off. All right, Dean. First question is, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with the Libertarian Party. Well, my name is Dean D. Davison. I was born in Mount Holly, New Jersey, so I actually came from New Jersey. Moved up here in 2008. It's a beautiful area here in Virginia. Uh, basically was a former Democrat that um, the Democratic Party ran away, basically. It's, it's terrible where it has gone to now. Uh, but I always saw myself a little bit different than them. So basically, I became a card-carrying libertarian in 2013. The first person I voted for was Gary Johnson in 2012. And some of my libertarian things, such as what I did in student council to keep regular... Uh, individualism when I was younger was more libertarian than I ever knew until this point. So basically, uh, I do that. I'm a volunteer fireman. I'm also uh, a weather consultant with the Weather Pros and uh, just do that for a career. So that's what I do. Excellent. All right. And uh, how long have you been a member? Since 2013. I joined in 2013 as a car carrying national member and also at LPVA. I then uh, met the Roanoke Valley Libertarians and became an active with them and became an activist and rose up the chain in that. So it was a great, it was a great uh, start to my libertarianism as being a car carrying member and someone that actually enjoys promoting liberty. Excellent. What sparked your interest in running for state chair? Well, what sparked my interest the most is, first off, you know, you start off as an activist. So most activists, you know, start at the bottom, they go out and they collect signatures, they do things like that. I had then got the opportunity to move up to the 6th District Secretary, and then had the opportunity to move up to the 5th District Chair. At that point, you know, promoting uh, the district was really important, and the affiliates involved in this district. Um, so going to the next level would be going for state chair. We need a leadership change, and that leadership change needs to be one that promotes the party forward rather than backwards or stays stale. So that being said, I put my name in the ring for running for chair at that point. Because I want to see the party do better, I want to see a little bit of things change where we can give affiliates more uh, flow, some, maybe some cash flow, things like that. We may get into that a little bit later. Um, where we're over, I think, overspending when we come to the idea of uh, ballot access when it comes to paying petitioners where most of the districts here in the southwestern part of the state and other places in the state can do it on an all-volunteer basis. And we need to work with volunteerism and away from uh, pay petitioners, not totally get away from pay petitioners, but actually cutting back so we can put money in other places, such as affiliates, that need that information and that money. Okay. All right. Have you ever held, well, you already discussed, you, um, I mentioned as well, you have held a position of leadership before in the party. Yes. Have you ever held a, position of leadership outside of the party as well and okay uh, if you could tell us a little bit about that and then we'll uh... okay um, some some things I've done outside the party like I said I've been a student council president when I was in high school 
Then let's move up a little bit. I was the vice president of the American Meteorological Society's Delaware and Philadelphia chapter uh, from 2003 to 2006. So I have experience with people and with an organization. Okay, I then also became a National Weather Association uh, local chapter uh, committee member, uh, one of the committeemen, which was I was one of the initial committee people to start that. And I've done that for four years. My term ends this year, uh, ending. But I was able to be one of the first to do that in there. And they all they give a selective interview process. Uh, doing with what I do as a consultant meteorologist is why that fits in. So that kind of led to some of the leadership roles that I could bring to being a chairman or chair. And it also allows uh, what I've done in the Libertarian Party, moving up from being your basic activist, which I still do, even in a leadership role. Get I get there and collect signatures with Brian, Derek, everybody uh, that I can for candidates. Um, so basically just moving up the chain, like, like I said, I was a 6th district secretary. I then became the 5th district chair. So the progression is to move up higher, to be more effective and understand better the people in the state and what we can do to better improve the libertarian message in the state. That's one thing I have to make a comment about uh, your being a, a weatherman and the, <laughs> the uh, libertarian party. Uh, I would say you must have, be a fan of storms. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, I love storms. I love weather. It's one of my biggest passions other than uh, liberty and libertarianism and firefighting. There are the three things that I'm really passionate about. And and to be honest, we need people that can take heat. As a weather person, you take a lot of heat. So if you're a chair, you need to be able to take heat from people. And that's something that it can't be, can't just be your first time taking heat. You need to have taken heat right. to be a successful uh, chair or successful any kind of leadership. You need to have a little bit of, been able to have some thick skin. So that's a really important part of of this whole situation also. Okay. Okay, well let's start uh, focusing on some of the challenges that the state party is facing today, beginning with membership. <laughs> if elected, how do you plan to increase membership numbers and retain the existing memberships we have? Well, first off, retaining members is extremely important because we don't want to lose people along the line. So our messages have to be more clear. We need to be doing more. Membership is by word of ear, word of mouth, hearing about the party. One thing we fail right now to do, and we failed with this past leadership, is the, the point to put out press releases on issues, press releases for candidates, things of that matter. So when people hear about us, they're more interested to look us up, okay? And that goes for anybody from the activists who's standing there collecting signatures up the chain. So membership also be driven by our local affiliates. And the way to do that is put a little set up, okay, $50 to who has the biggest spike in membership? So, as a chair, you can do that. I would do it in my own personal pocket, but just do that to allow some competition. Friendly competition will lead to increased numbers of people. Getting out the message of libertarianism and liberty will increase the message, increase productivity, and, and of course, going to these places such as the Vinton Fall Festival that I've been to, or Centerfest, or uh, there's a million different, uh, the Apple Festival, you can go to all these places and get out to people. More people are becoming libertarians and independents because they're sick of the two-party system. So, membership will increase when you have a little bit of incentives for those uh, affiliates. And I feel that's a big thing. Affiliates are a very important part of what our next chair has to take care of, is our affiliates. And our candidates being the second. Okay. 
And, and uh, do you have uh, any additional comments you'd like to make as far as retaining the members too? Once we uh, well, obviously retention of members kind of goes the same way with that. You know, the affiliate level. That's really where everything starts with your membership is your affiliate level people and having the ability to know there is affiliates. That's another problem. We need more affiliates. Obviously, I'd like to have about space to about every fifty miles would be great. But uh, I mean, they never would be. Are, uh, Brian, because Brian's very vocal on membership. We need to put a person in the membership director's position that has innovative ideas. And I think I have at least one person in mind for that position when I'm elected. And I've been talked. I've talked to this person already about it, and they seem pretty interested in taking on that role. So it's very, it's very important that we have a membership director. We start filling the voids that the past administration has not filled and we keep moving forward and that's the only way we're going to increase membership and that's the only way we're going to retain members. Uh, you said membership director. Is that something similar to uh, what is described as the uh, membership liaison? Well, the leader, the person that's in, okay. uh, say, okay, that person has, wants to send out an email to keep the members um, happy, okay. but also let them know ahead of time when they're, when they're, uh, they need to pay their dues for the membership of the party. We are not communicating well with these people, and I believe the person and the people that could do that job would be very efficient in this. So they already have ideas on how to do this, and one of them being, you know, using the MailChimp, using the social media aspect, using everything in that all ties together to make a good membership team that goes along with the secretary, and that'll go along with all the all the other uh, chair, the chair, the vice chair, and the treasurer. It it steps on everything. Membership is very important. So we need to continue to do, move that forward. Otherwise, we're going to be stalled. Okay. All right. Um, how do you plan to bring more unity within the party and improve communication between all members from Lone Wolf activists and local affiliates to state leadership? Well, that starts at the top, really. It can start at the bottom, it start at the top. And the, you could do a trickle-down effect or trickle-up effect, whatever way you want to do it. It, it has to do with communication, and communication is another area we have a problem with. We don't have a communications director that can go out and communicate to our members. Also, that will partly do with membership. Also, when you get emails sent to you because you're a member and updates you on things, that's imperative. That's important. That's stuff that will keep our people knowing what's in the know. When we have somebody that doesn't want to send out press releases on something that's going on in the state that the libertarians are behind, and all too often we get Democrats and Republicans taking credit for stuff we actually are the spearheads behind, that's a problem. And that's how we have to communicate better. The activists, quite frankly, if you're a leader, you know, leadership has its own right, but I think you still have the activism in you to do that. And that's where I would be different in, in a lot of places. Is I'm still on the ground chomping away, getting signatures, because I feel that's important. But you also got to make sure that you oversee things properly. And you can't micromanage. That's the biggest That's the biggest thing you can't do. So communications will definitely get better if we have a communications director and we have a membership director. Those two positions are key to the executive management and the congressional districts. And that'll trickle down to your affiliates and so forth, to your loan activists. Because when you get information about your party, and what's going on in your party, it fires them up. When you fire them up, you get more membership and you retain more membership. 
Right, because like you said, uh, some people aren't even aware that they, there is an affiliate maybe within a certain amount of distance from them. So. And that's a big problem. I mean, that's yeah. something that just with a few steps will be able to be done and we'll be able to increase uh, membership for sure. Okay. okay. Um, if the party becomes more successful with membership expansion and retention, that will have great impact on the amount of funds the party receives through membership dues. And what other ways do you plan to raise party funds besides that? Well, we have to be smart about how we raise our funds, first off. There is a, unfortunately, a taxation system. We've got to make sure that we are doing things fairly and doing them right. But we've got to raise, raise funds. The way we raise funds, the best is, like I said, we could do things within our local affiliates or our congressional districts, such as we don't do things, simple things like doing a car wash or doing like a, a get-together you might have to get a you know health uh, inspection, but like selling hot dogs, hamburgers, having something like that, little things, little get-togethers, or okay, six dollars a head at this place, over top of the meal, or five dollars will bring you some revenue, and most people would be able to pay a few bucks in if they knew, you know, it was going directly to the party, and we're not lying to the people, or sending out uh, false information to people. We need to be very clear and very precise of what we're doing with our funds, but we also need to have a way to do that, and the way to do that is pretty much grassroots, starting at the bottom, doing little things that will then increase the bigger things as the Libertarian Party gets more known, we get candidates, then we can have the potential of bigger candidates bringing in more money by coming to our state to do a, a bigger dinner if, if our party expands or something like that, but we have to start the, the basics first, and if we don't start the basics first, it's an easy way to fail. Okay. Alrighty, uh, well let's talk about party candidates. Uh, one of the most difficult challenges our candidates face is a lack of finances. How would you plan to help them overcome this obstacle? Would you support allocating party funds? And I've, I've mentioned it a little bit in the beginning of this, I will mention it again. Battle access is extremely important. I'm not going to say that's not extremely important, but more volunteerism and less funds going to people that just to pay people to get people on ballots is important. We need to start at our at our uh, local levels, town councils. We need to start, I'm not saying don't want a presidential candidate, but start with them, board of supervisors, delegates. Start low, okay? Raise the funds there. Help them raise the funds. Going out, a chairman that's in, involved with the candidates, putting out a press release to, you know, to the, the media, which will, will actually get people to go to their site or whatnot will allow people to raise more funds. But I guess I do. I think there should be some better budgeting in allowing um, the, the candidates to have a little bit of money. Or at the minimum least, getting some literature for them or something. That is, that's the start. That's the start. But yes, we do need to go in and help the candidates more. As being a past candidate for House of Delegates and likely a future right. candidate for House of Delegates here soon, Funding is very difficult, but you have to find a way to raise those funds, get those supporters, and make them trust you. Because that's the biggest thing. If they trust you, they will trust you with their funds. When they trust you with their funds, the candidacy usually goes good. I uh, make a great remark. Dustin Evans had huge things with what funds he had. And he was not helped by the pack that was given to many other people. So that's a, just an example of stuff in here in South Virginia. In the 5th District, 
during my chair run, okay, that was opportune for candidates and going around to a Liberty tour and things of that matter, coming up with innovative ideas to raise money. And I, the candidates are important, affiliates are very important, and candidates are important. They're my two top people that we have to make happier because they're the two people that are neglected the most in our party right now. And the activists are mainly involved with the, uh, most of your activists are involved with an affiliate, and that's where, that's where the failure is, the lack of funds and lack of helping those people that actually do most of the groundwork. Leadership overlooks that. As your leader, I won't overlook that. I'll actually be there with you. Okay. All right, well, number nine. What are your thoughts of creating a new or creating on um, creating new programs within the state party to recruit and train campaign teams? Do you have any other recommendations on how we might better assist our candidates? Well. Quite frankly, uh, yes, we do need to have a training program. I think we have certain people in the state that are willing to train. I know, for a fact, talking to Dr. Lark about how to collect petition signatures, that's a big part. He's willing to step and go in there and help other people train them on how to do it the best way possible. So we have some people in the state that have been in our, in our, uh, in our party for a good long time. He's been a national chair. He's been, you know, on the LNC for a while. He's, he's been our secretary, uh, chairs. I mean, this man is... Brilliant. So people like that, or Mr. Pickens is out in Washington who teaches libertarian leadership. Things yes. like that are important to train our candidates. Past candidates, our biggest failure is not learning from what our past candidates done. As a chair of the 5th District, I tried to get a, and a couple other of us had tried to get information from our past candidates, but we were met with a blockade in the middle of the road, unfortunately. Um, by certain leaders in our party. Knowing what the goods and the bads of each candidacy is will help the next candidate. And we need to retain them and not let them go to the Republican or Democratic Party or Green Party or whatever party when they're done running for us. That's another problem. One suggestion I had, and I have, is having a five-person from all over the state, okay, each section of the state have one person, vet candidates. So these candidates are vetted prior to running if they're running for governor. Okay, that especially of those upper upper houses, you need to know what this person is going to do. We need to make sure that they're on track of staying a libertarian when they leave. Certain libertarians have left our party, went right to the Republican Party or right to the Democratic Party. We've had some that unfortunately moved away, like Rob Sargas, who was a great candidate, who's done amazing work for our party, made us really big in the LB, LPVA. I loved working alongside him on the campaign, and I know Brian, I know you were there too. It just was, it was so, such a passionate time. So we need to have people like that come back, let us know what's good about what they've done in their candidacy and what's bad so we can try to fix the bads and improve the goods. I think that's a good answer. Alrighty, let's go to the next question. Um, in what ways do you believe the party can become more effective and broadcasting our message to the general public in Virginia. I know you touched a little bit on that, yeah. but anymore. A lot of it has to do with the chairmen themselves and the SEC. The SEC needs to hold the foot to the fire of the chairman to make sure that they put out press releases to any press that will listen. One thing I learned as a candidate was I had someone working for me, Corey Faulkner, that decided that he was going to help me out my my, my, my campaign. And he put out press releases. 
I am one of the, him and Dustin, myself and Dustin Evans probably had, and Charlie, us three, probably had the most libertarian visibility ever in the state. Oh, uh, Charlie Milner? Yes. Okay. Had more exposure because of certain people and certain way things doing that. So it's important that the chairman, or the chair, it's not the chairman, the chair puts these press releases out, whether it be on an issue, Supreme Court justices, or something that's done wrong, like impeachment, or on our issues of marijuana legalization, things like that, we need to put messages out. We also need to put them out for the candidates. The more visible we are in the media, the more people will know about the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Party of Virginia, and that chair will be very well-respected and liked and be able to have an open communication with these media people. I, for one, have a lot of contacts in the media, and that's just because me doing the weather, I just have a lot of contacts. But it doesn't mean you have to have the contacts to be the chair. It, it means that everybody needs to work together to get that to work. You can't just spread the message. Social media is great, too, to keep spreading the message. Keep spreading the message. We can't spread false things. We have to make things true to the people, and the more they'll trust us, the more. Is there anything another state affiliate is doing different from the LPVA that you believe we should try as well? Really, other states, every state should do things differently. I don't see really anything in other states that kind of points out to me really, really strong. But we're, we should be willing to try things that work for other states. So if something works in Vermont or something works in Michigan, we should at least be willing to beta test it and try it on a small level. So, yes, we should we should look to other states to see what they're doing that's working, but if it, it may not work in our state. Our state's very diverse. Um, most of your southwestern areas, minus big cities, are very conservative. Most of your people up by most of your people up by Washington are very liberal. And you, know, you have your in between you have your libertarians, but then but that's the point. Other states are very conservative all the way across the board and very liberal all the way across the board. So it works differently in every place. I think we should be willing to try little things that from other states, but we should really try to create our own at the same time. Hmm. Okay. Alrighty. Um, so tell us what you can bring to the table that makes you the best candidate for chair. Well, first off, like I said, I've been a libertarian since 2013. I'm very enthusiastic. I do all of the things that a leader should do, but I also do everything that a an activist should do. Okay, so you have to understand the lowest or the low level or the activist level. I don't call them the low level. They're really the highest level because they're the ones on the ground busting their ears every single day helping people out. So they're the highest level. Really, the chair should be just be the lowest level of, of this occurring. So... The way to do that is to understand every, how everything works. Have someone that actually has been through the steps right. to be there. I don't believe in someone coming out of the blue, never been to an affiliate meeting, but wants to run for chair. Yes, it's, anybody has the right to do that. It's the Libertarian Party. But, but that does not, you know, you need to have those steps. You need to understand each of those levels to effectively be the chair. I know for a fact Mr. Dunbar, one of the people I'm running against, is very effective, has been through these things. Okay? You have to be through that. If you haven't touched a little bit of everything to be up to the state chair position or into the executive committee positions up at the top, 
then you really shouldn't run. You shouldn't. You should not run. Not saying you shouldn't run, but you should not effectively be considered as much as someone that has made those steps, because. I understand the affiliate level. I understand the chair, um, the, not chair level, but the uh, district levels. I understand how campaigns work. I understand how membership can be different. And I also understand now what it would need, what kind of leader we need to make this go forward. So that being said, that's, that is the most important thing that I can bring to the table. Is first off, you can trust me because I have a good record of I do not lie. I am very clear and precise in what I say. I've been there in all of those levels and those capacities. And I bring an energy to the party and to the people around me. And if that's something that can be a gain to our party, that's extremely important. Okay. Okay, and then final question. Uh, we asked for you to submit a like a personal question. And what you submitted was which Libertarian Party member has left the biggest impression on you? Well, I can, I'm going to say two different people have left the biggest impression on me. First person that I would say over everybody is Dr. James Lark. Okay. Dr. Lark, single-handedly, has left the biggest imprint in, in Libertarianism since I've been involved. He's in the RVO and he's coming every summer and he's talked to us with everything. That man is a Genius, he's brilliant, and I, I could not find a, a better person to trust than Dr. Lark in the Libertarian Party. If you want information, if you want suggestions, or you have ideas, talk to him about it, because he'll talk to you and let you know how it is, and, and let you know more about libertarianism in different categories. He's going all over the world talking liberty to people, so he'd be the one person. Another person I look up to actually is someone that. I started with in 2013 um, in the Roman Fowl Libertarians, and uh, that would actually be you, Brian. I look up to you because you brought me into this party. I've sat alongside of you just as a member and moved up through the ranks to be your vice chair. I don't trust anybody else as much. About When I went to about campaign, going run for office, I brought in front of the RBL, but I come to you first. I, I can turn to you with situations and things and you give me a straight answer, and that's more respectable than anything. So, and I'm not saying I'm not going to leave out Derek. I'm not going to leave out Eric Bowling. I'm not going to leave out anybody in the southwestern part of the state that's been a, a huge asset to to me. But those two specifically have been the people that have made the biggest mark on me as a libertarian. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no joke about it. I'm a fan of uh, Dr. Lark and uh, Brian Hunter as well. So. <laughs> Really appreciate y'all uh, activism in the party. Alrighty, well, uh, was there anything you'd like to tell people about your how they can get in contact with you? Yeah, you can get contact with me a couple ways, and I'll go slow because I'm a northerner, so kind of a little fast. So I'll make it slow for you. You can go on Facebook, Davison for LPVA, the word for F O R. LPVA, I have a Facebook page there that I'm putting things about chair running for chair and all and stuff and some that was also my campaign past campaign page. It'll probably be my future campaign page, but that that's one place you can do it. You can also email me any questions at uh, LPVA five Davison, it's D A V I S O N A O L dot com and I'll answer any questions that anybody has for me. So Okay. Excellent. 
Alrighty. Well, uh, thank you, Brian Heiner, for joining us. Thank you, Dean Davison, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's uh, been uh, a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for joining us as well. This concludes our third video that we have interviewed all three candidates running for the state chair of the Libertarian Party of Virginia. We will be working on some more videos uh, interviewing uh, libertarian activists or people who just generally are um, making a difference in the liberty movement. But uh, we will have those up for you soon as well. And thank you for joining us again. Well, that was Dean Davison. Sorry about the audio, Dean. And to all you listeners out there, I promise in the future it will be better. So to wrap this podcast up, remember this Saturday, March 14th, is the LPVA State Convention. It's from 10 to 5 at the Hoftimer Building, 2818 West Broad Street, Richmond, Virginia, 23230. And to get more information about the three... Um, candidates joe pascal he's on twitter at pascal joe you can go to facebook at joe pascal um nick you can email him at nick at dunbarmail.com dean you can find him on facebook at davison for lpva his email is lpva5 davison at aol.com uh i want to thank Derek maddox of the lynchburg libertarians for allowing me to be part of um the interviews that he did, and to use the audio for the podcast here. You can find more information about the Libertarians of uh, down there in Lynchburg, the Lynchburg Libertarians on Facebook at Lynchburg LP. They meet on the second Tuesday of each month at Me Patron Mexican Restaurant. Make sure you subscribe to their YouTube channel at Seven Hills Libertarian. Well, I'm Brian for Maximum Libertarian. You can follow us, uh, Maximum Libertarian, on Twitter at WeAreMaxLib. You can get this podcast on Podbean, SoundCloud, and starting this week, all the other places you get your podcast. So until next week, my friends, stay free.